welcome to another edition of Game Warp. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kimlo. Hello. Tonight we are looking at our favourite video game worlds, uh, epic twenty pick trek through the many worlds that have made up video game experiences over the years and it's safe to say that when we look at video games there's certain games whose world is as important as the storyline and the gameplay uh, within within them and tonight we're going to obviously be celebrating those worlds which have inspired and certainly been the most fun to explore over the years so I think it's kind of fitting that we obviously do this tonight because as we record this it's a balmy minus two here in the UK and to Kim, I'm sure that's pretty much just considered golf weather, being the resident polar bear that she is. <laughs> well, let's not go that far, but uh, you know, the world in 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 you know kind of puts that in perspective, especially in video games. And since we're living in a pandemic, which almost <laughs> feels like something that we would only have seen in movies, uh, what you know, five years ago, <laughs> even last year, well, the year before last. So to us, you know. The world is we're we're kind of living vicariously through these fictional worlds as well, and it's a good time to kind of think back to these, you know, worlds that we've immersed ourselves in, <laughs> and maybe reconsider what type of post-apocalyptic world we're, <laughs> we're thinking about in the future. Exactly. Tonight we're going to play tourist and go through twenty of our favorite worlds, and as I said, this is a focus purely on the worlds. It's not about the actual gameplay. It's not about the games themselves, but more about the worlds that the games take place in. As there's many games out there that have really sort of captured our attention and we've certainly enjoyed over the years but perhaps they haven't got the most original worlds and it's certainly those worlds that are sort of like inspired us or just really made us sort of like really want to just explore them further or um, have further games set within those worlds that we're going to be celebrating tonight and I think it's a pretty diverse list that we've uh, come up with looking at the picks that we've got here but um, Kim do you want to kick things off tonight? Yeah, so in the 20th spot is Rain World, uh, which was, uh, which is pretty much the world is a broken ecosystem. Uh, so just a quick description if you don't know what Rain World is. Rain World is pretty much an indie game that was released in 2017. It's considered a survival platform game where you play as this slug cat, which is this elongated cat <laughs> in this pixelated world of which rains after every certain amount of time. And in this cruel world where you get no direction of how to survive, you need to learn how to figure out, uh, run away from your enemies or uh, use whatever you have at disposal to get away and um, jump around. And, you know, eventually there is a a bigger end game. But it is it is a fairly, I think, the game itself is really hard um i do know that after that we have played it um that there was a uh improvement to the games uh to make it kind of function a little better and also uh give you a different kind of i think it's a different le uh, level setting where a uh, difficulty setting where it's not as hard as it first began but the world itself i mean is the focus here and um, the broken system in Rain World, I think it says is in the title, right? I mean, the, the world that you live in and that and the different places that you see, you have, although it's all pixelated, the little um, 
kind of like the gloomy element that this atmosphere that is sets is really through this world. And it's through all these different creatures that inhabit it. And uh, in this world where there are little places to discover, little uh, places you can crawl into, and all these little paths that you can find as you move from screen to screen and area to area. Um, it's, it, it is, it's, you know, it's a really good adventure if you have the patience to really, you know, dive in <laughs> to, to, in this kind of like cruel, cruel world, which is really hard because of its ambiguity. Oh, definitely. So, Rain World is an absolutely brutal place to exist. As you, you, as you said, you play a little slug clat who's trying to find its family, at the same time trying to survive because basically everything wants to eat it. And even the platforms at the later levels will try and eat it as well. So, And the fact that you get a little pathetic-looking spear is pretty much your only weapon of, of defense that you get at certain points of the game. So... It's a really interesting mechanic, the fact you have to go out, scavenge, and then get back to your nest, and then avoid the rains, because the rains will kill you, along with everything else in this world. So I like the the fact that you go out and you constantly return to this one central point, and that when those rains come, it actually feels kind of cosy, the fact that you're hiding out from the rains that, and the way those mechanics work. So, But no, this was a horribly brutal game to try and play. Yeah, so I mean, to I think that's one of the main things is to start off this list, it's a really good place to start because it really sets the tone of, you know, where we're going from this list. And the game itself might not be, you know, one that I finished personally because it just got really, really brutal. Uh, but it is one where the world itself is, um, is, is really the highlight here, to me at least. Yep. Um, other than the fact that, you know, obviously, I guess that you can consider the slug cat a part of the, the, the ecosystem, I guess. So, uh, you know, you kind of get a feeling of being at the bottom of the food chain and uh, and working through it by trial and error. So it's 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 interesting. Great. Nothing but happy times ahead on this list. Um, and that certainly continues with our pick for number 19 which is Frostpunk Uh, this is from 2018 Uh, basically it takes place in an alternate late 19th century where volcanic winter has basically been enforced on the world plunging us into a new ice age and the survivors of uh, humanity all have to huddle around these great big generators that have been constructed in cities like London as they form new arcs and it's a city management game where the twist is that you're building around this huge generator and you have to not only balance the happiness and warmth, more importantly if you're survivors, but you also have to choose laws that will choose how your city will run, with the end game being that you're either going to be a very strong political party or you can even turn yourselves into a religious cult based around the worship of your generator. It's a really interesting mechanic how the game is built is rather than having blocks of buildings you have curves of buildings everything is constantly built around the generator and you have to find ways of keeping your people warm you can build lots of uh, nice fun little steampunk mechanics all the buildings are really nicely designed and you build these huge titans to work in like the mines and you can send out the rescue pipes and just the opening moments of this game when you kick on your generator and you see this tiny little layer of warmth appear around and you see your 
villagers um, trekking out to go and scavenge wood for the snow and you can see the paths that they trek in the heavy snow it's just a really great game and just seeing the different laws that you can put in such as you can choose to put like fighting pits in you can choose to have public executions to maintain the morality you can even put in child labor laws so you can increase the productivity of your followers there's just so many fun options of that are made and just the simple mechanics that are used in place just to create this really effective and really immersive world that's really fun to play with there's different scenarios as well within the game where you have there's a level where you have two arcs and you have to decide which one you're going to ultimately sacrifice so it's a uh, as i said the, the whole setup that steampunk element to it and just the way the levels are designed and just how this game is built around just like one big generator is just um, a real fun twist on the old sea management games that we've seen in the past it was certainly something new and the whole aesthetic of the world just makes it such a great place to lose some hours and <laughs> yeah and i mean uh obviously i haven't played this game because i'm not much of a survival gamer but i mean when you look first look at frostpunk i think one of the things that really catches your eye is the kind of like that that big snowscape it kind of makes it a little bit more unforgiving i guess in a w certain way and like you said, I mean, the just looking at some screenshots and stuff that, you know, through some of my research, it was really the generator almost like that world almost reminds me of um, City of Ember, oh, where yeah. the concept of City of Ember is uh, they're they're trying to, you know, keep this generator running underground so that they they have light all the time. Right. To be lit, to be like light is so important in the sense that it it will keep them, you know, they'll be able to see and then they'll be able to. Uh, be warm and that sort of thing in a, in a world that's falling apart and I really like a world like that like that type of world is um, and especially because you build this world in a certain way this world revolves around a certain way but um, it also gives you that perk that you kind of create the the world and the atmosphere that you're that you're trying to 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 create right yeah definitely so and it just there's so many of the mechanics as as you said it's just this world huddled around the generator it, everything revolves around keeping the generator going and you keep getting hit with like bursts of cold temperature and it like drops to minus 70 and you gotta create doctor surgeries because people get frostbite you gotta keep them working it's just uh as i said the constant little challenges that it throws at you is just really fantastic and i say if you like things that's in november it is pretty much the same mechanic as i say it's just about all about keeping the heat on and making the hard choices that are going to keep the heat on. So, um, yeah, it's not the happiest place, but it's certainly a fun place to to uh, play out your megalomaniac fantasies in a steampunk-esque world. <laughs> it's a good place to play God, <laughs> that's what, You rule your own That's city. what all these games basically are. It's just, it may say you're the mayor, but let's face it, you're in your own mind, you're just playing God. So, okay, Kim, what's next? Yeah, so um, my next one for the 18th uh, choice is, you know, coincidentally one of the top games I think that we've reviewed mm. on the show before, and that's the Finch Mansion in What Remains of Edith Finch. What Remains of Edith Finch is uh, coincidentally also a 2017 game, <laughs> because apparently 2017 was a big year for us. Um, it's an adventure game, but more kind of like a walking simulator where, you know, developed by Giant Sparrow, where you're, it's set in a family. This Finch Mansion is located off the coast of uh, the state of Washington. And 
the character you're talking about is Edith, who returns to her family home. And as she walks through the rooms and stuff, all these things are coming alive. And it's almost like an anthology. The whole Finch Mansion is a series of stories. And because it's a mansion, there's so many places to discover. And I think that that's where the charm of this story is because as you walk through you can see different things coming to life you can climb out a window and follow birds and <laughs> in trees and then you can go in the cellar and then learn the story of this whole like um what is it a uh, bunker that's underground and then you know there's there's all these different rooms and different stories that you can go through and it makes the story not only i guess kind of a little bit uh, there's a little bit of creepiness to it, I guess, a little bit of mystery to what's going on, and, um, it kind of, you know, if for people who really like games like, uh, Gone Home, it kind of takes it a step further, because the Finch Mansion is, is created in such a way that every single area, and as you open, or you look into little, I remember there was one part where you look into a room through, like, a peephole or something (laughs) like that, and it's just, it's just all these little things that creates this mystery of what went on in this house, and the people who lived in it really kind of come to life as their stories, uh, as you play through each of these little stories, like an anthology, uh, and, like, just a different experience. Oh, definitely so. And I think when we talk about walking some laces and you think of the likes of everybody's gone to the Rapture and Firewatch, there's this idea that they're not the most exciting experiences, and yet all those games have been super immersive, and it's certainly the came with what remains of Edith Finch, which essentially is a collection of mini-games um, as you explore the mansion and you uncover the unfortunate fates of the many members of the Finch family have suffered over the year. And it's just fascinating how each story you uncover has a different style gameplay such as there's one level where you play a sea monster there's another where you're playing uh where you're just flying a kite there's even the um sim working on the cannery line game that you get to enjoy towards the end which devolves into this weird flight of fantasy um and it's all the while you're just constantly piecing together that what happened to like the finch family until you get to the final reveal at the end and i think it's just a gripping experience from start to finish whether you're playing it or even if you're just watching it you can just watch somebody play this game and enjoy it like a film and you would still have the same enjoyable experience of playing the game and i think it's a very immersive world it's kind of like somewhere between a um a tim burton-esque world and something that ian banks would uh come up with for like the wasp factory or something like that it's it's uh family dysfunction taken to a whole new level yeah, and I mean the Finch Mansion is also you know it's it's because of all its secrets. You never ex- you never realize that when you look at the exterior, you never realize all the secret little crawl spaces, the little secret paths no. that you find. And and as you go through this, it, it really becomes such a such a like you said, it's a really immersive world. But at the same time, I think that the key to it, as you think deeper about it, is that every single home that you live in. Everything that every single object in the house or how things are placed or the mess or tidiness of it really defines that family that lives in it. And essentially, that's what makes the Finch Mansion so compelling is because it's like you're walking through the family's history as you go room to room and you look at the different objects and the different lighting and the different atmosphere that it creates. 
Yeah, definitely so, and it's it's on Game Pass at the moment. So if you've not actually played uh, What Remains of Edith Finch and you've got an Xbox, definitely check it out. And um, I think it's also on the PlayStation Game Pass as well. So it's uh, definitely a a great little indie title to uh, check out for sure. Yeah. So where are we going next? Um, our next pick, which is pick number seventeen, um, is another indie title, and that's Abzu, uh, where you play. An unnamed diver and you basically explore this series of tunnels that ultimately take you through the many oceans of the world and even through time at one point uh, this is an absolutely wonderful relaxing game with a very unique art style and just the fact that there's parts of this game where you can just sit and look at fish I think it's just a really fun world and just how you control the diver, the various movements that you can sort of perform. You can hitch ride on, on different uh, sea creatures and it's just a really relaxing world and it's one of those experiences where you actually feel like you're in, in the world. You're not just like inputting uh, controls. You feel that you have like such full control and the spaces to explore are so open and wide and there's so the fact that your journey takes you for all these different oceans and you end up in like the jurassic waters and you encounter like megalodons and there's this shark that's constantly trying to mess around, mess mess with you um that somehow just follows you on this whole journey and i think it's up there with the likes of journey of just this really wonderful experience as you where you just really just start in one location and you're just traveling constantly forward to get to that end point and it's uh just a it's one of those um just really engrossing experience i just like to pick up every now and again just to revisit and just play from start to finish and it's just a really wonderful game yeah for sure i mean abzu is is one of those underwater experiences you know i think that a lot of people dread underwater worlds and experiences, especially in gaming, because they sometimes they're created in such a harsh and unforgiving and, you know, some of the hardest levels in some games are, are set in the under in the water levels. Right. Yeah. And and Abzu kind of brings you this whole different peacefulness to it. Sure, you have sharks and you have, you know, little bits of danger here and there, but essentially it's. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure it has a lot to do with the fact that Abzu's creator, director, and art director is, uh, Matt Nava is the art director of Journey as well. So, you know, there's a lot of the feeling of playing um, that sort of game, uh, whether it's the sequence, the music, and, and you know, as you walk in, and this world that it builds is so, so beautiful because you go deeper and you start seeing, it's kind of like the secrets at the depth of the ocean. And what kind of like your end game isn't just you swimming around. There's an actual end game to what this diver is looking for um, or what they're, you know, what these ruins are. And there's this whole, um, this whole environment is just, you know, it, it's, it really kind of comes to life. And especially in those sequences where you're rushing through different areas and, and your, and your character is just kind of being pushed through the current and all these things really mesh so well together to bring this whole environment um like this whole underwater you're not just looking at you're not just looking at like three different types of fish but you can investigate these fishes and they all have you know different uh appearances and uh different uh, i think you can even i think they even show like what type of fish it is yeah and you can uh identify yeah, so the different fish as well so 
Yeah, so, you know, you can show how much heart was put into creating this world to make it feel so much more alive and so real. It's it's also funny the fact that there's a section around the halfway point where you actually get out of the water and you have to run around this temple to unlock the next area. And it's weird that that, level, that particular level felt the same claustrophobicness that you feel like on the normal in the water level. So you're actually happier in the water than you are out of it in this game. It's the most <laughs> bizarre experience to say the least when you encounter that that moment. But yeah, just the the fun of being able to just swim around and and look at things. It's and as I say it's just all about the journey. It's not about completing tasks and goals and this epic quest. It's just all about the journey. Um, Kim, what's next to you? So yeah, in number 16 yep. is uh, Ori and the Blind Forest, and obviously the location is the Blind Forest. Yeah. <laughs> um, very direct. Uh, well, you know, Ori and the Blind Forest is a really popular game. I don't really know if I really need to talk about that with too, <laughs> explain it too much, but um, essentially it's a 2D Metroidvania uh, platforming game where... Um, you're, you play Ori, which is this little sprite who's running around the, this white, he's like this white guardian spirit that is running around, um, looking through, like, trying to save the world type of thing, save the little area around them and the environment, um, and look for, you know, the spirit tree and all those different things. And as you go around this whole environment, the... The world itself, I think, is where you really have all these um, different creatures that are in it. Different types of creatures in different areas. And um, also, you know, this the, a different type of you know, trees. And you go underground. And there's like this extensive map. And I think that that's... I think when you talk about Metroidvania, it's almost a given that your world is really large and you kind of go back and forth in it and discover new things as you learn new abilities and stuff like that um but the blind forest i think is a really good balance of course it's the world but it's also the fact that the story itself is pretty nice also and as you move through this this world you kind of see um I don't know, I think you have different enemies, and then the world itself, like, just, just one of the biggest levels, I think, in the beginning is when the tree that you're that you're trying to, I think, save or something, is, uh, is flooding. So as it goes up, you have to kind of rush up the tree, and the game and the world itself really, like, blends together at that moment really well. Yeah, it's... <sighs> it's almost like a Ghibli-esque world that uh, it takes place in, the yeah. fact that the whole world is narrated by the voice of the spirit tree and you play this this guardian spirit who basically is uh, cast out during a storm and is adopted by this tor uh, Totoro cell creature called Naru who then dies <laughs> this is only the opening moments and it's like oh no uh, and the fact you're constantly harassed by this damn owl um, called Karu who just is a constant pain in the ass to your, your journey. And he's just like, what the hell is your deal, man? But no, <laughs> it's such a, oh, it's such a whimsical world to go in. And it reminds me of like, a lot of like seasons after fall, but I'd say compared to seasons after fall, there's actually the element of danger to this one. So it's not just a 
case of running around the woods this one's actually got some a nice element of danger to and it's a really great game especially if you've got someone like the switch to play it on it's uh got that nice sort of pick up and put down sort of value to it and uh, there's just a, a real old school value to it even though it looks it's obviously got this modern style to it um i just really just really love that old style old school style gameplay that it has obviously the metrovania style uh, which we've seen so many times before and in so many surprising places like Guacamelee. Um, yeah, your Guacamelee, and then we played that um, underwater game. I can't remember what its name is. Uh, Song of the Deep. Yes. So, yeah. It's constantly surprising how often we come across these Metrovania games, and it's at the same time, it's. Um, it's always fun when we get a fun twist on it and certainly with uh, Ori in the Blind Forest it's uh, already spawned a sequel with uh, Will of the Wisps um, and hopefully uh, we'll continue to see more from this character So, absolutely uh, so where are we going for your fifth, for number 15 number 15 we're going to New York City and more precisely we're going to Insomniac Spider-Man um, PlayStation exclusive, so if this hasn't inspired you to buy a PlayStation, I don't know what will, as this is probably one of the most fun worlds to just explore. I've probably spent more time doing achievement hunting and collecting like backpacks and taking photos around New York than I have actually playing the main game for this one. Um, but no, the basically this game does the same for spider-man that the arkham asylum games did for batman it's finally a game where you feel that you truly inhabit this character and while we've obviously had web slinging before and in the older spider-man games it's just with this one it's with the power of obviously the playstation 4 behind it you've got this huge immense new york landscape you can go to all the different uh, locations around the city and you can see like oh look here's the brooklyn bridge and here's the stark tower and so you get to see all like the little marvel um sort of trademarks and at the same time you've got some really interesting use of the villains in it and the fact that we've got uh mr ne mr negative as the villain we've got the demons you get to have all this escape seems to like change as you go through it and obviously as the demon threat becomes more you see like the military forces sort of rolling in so i really um just had so much fun with this and it's as i said it's just fun playing spider-man swinging for the city and just doing different tricks and stuff and never mind the fact that you can collect the different suits so you can be the sort of spider-man you want whether you want to be like noir spider-man or you want to be shocker spider-man or iron spider is it seems to cater for like for spider-man fanboys just to live out their new york fantasies of uh playing peter parker swinging through this world and it seems to have only continued when we look at the the second game uh, mars morales so hopefully um they continue to build up this saga like we saw with the arkham games yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's weird for, you know, to think about the fact that we're putting New York City into a, <laughs> as a, a location. It's a right? it, New York City, though. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that that's the point that, like, that's the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, when you talk about New York City, you, you don't expect it to be on a list like this because it, it is a very real location. Yeah. But when you see it in the eyes of... Um, a Marvel universe, New York is all of a sudden very different, but almost the same, right? Because a lot of the land, you know, the, the landmarks are still there. 
but at the same time, when you go through the city, you're swinging through buildings, and you're seeing all this, you know, as a Marvel story is about, you know, good and evil, essentially, right? There, There's so much crime in this New York City, and I'm not saying the real New York City <laughs> doesn't have crime. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's so vibrant too because you start seeing you run through this thing and then you hear the crime that's going on like uh, and then you're like oh this person something's going on mugging is going on over there and then there's <laughs> gangs fighting over here and then there's a bomb about to go off over there and then you can choose to acknowledge and do these side missions or you can choose to just go and continue your main mission right oh definitely so and the fact that you get these little jj and jameson little news briefings where he's constantly bashing spider-man throughout the game you go down street level people like recognize you and there's certain characters that will like high five you or want to take selfies with you so just on like so many different levels and it's so intricately sort of mapped out like when you go to like central park and you can see the different like bridges and greenscapes you actually feel that you're going through it and um while we're obviously talking about marvel i mean there is a tourist book called the marvel guide to new york which says about where the <laughs> different locations are in new york city if you went to go and have a really nerdy trip but yeah it's fun you see like obviously very sort of traditional new york tourist spots and then it's sort of like oh climb to the top of the stark tower and it's like oh this you remember oh i'm actually in a superhero version of new york so it's um it's just it's just a really fun experience and as i said it's one of those few occasions where i spent more time doing like achievement hunting than actually playing the main game because normally the case of like if you play quite assassin's creed it's like oh go and collect the hundred feathers and go and collect all these like minor things you think it's just it feels like a lot of busy work but with this game it just felt like an absolute pleasure to like go and collect 50 backpacks go take these all these photographs and stuff and you probably see what most people play it have probably got those achievement points before they've completed the game so for sure uh yeah i mean uh spider-man is definitely one that's really really like bring that really merges really well the environment with the gameplay whether it's side missions or the main mission and um you know pair it up with how the mechanics of uh of peter parker is it it really does it really does does come to life i do agree with that one okay uh, number 14. Um, for my, for, yeah, for my next choice, I'm going to take us to the one and only Souls game on this, <laughs> on this list, which I haven't played, but I've watched someone else. So I've really experienced this game, um, through watching someone else play it. Um, and that is, uh, the incredibly difficult game called Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is set in a 16th century Sengoku period Japan. Um, so, you know, Sekiro, if people don't know, is a Souls-like. I think it's it's considered a Souls-like. Yep. I'm not sure if it's considered a Souls game. Um, but it's created by uh, the people who made Dark Souls from software, uh, who made this really incredible game where you follow uh, a shinobi known as Wolf, who attempts to take revenge on a samurai clan who attacked him and kidnapped his lord. So... There's a bunch of stuff uh, to go with it. You know, there's stealth, exploration, combat. Uh, and as in many, many Souls games, there are boss battles. Very, very hard boss battles. <laughs> and what's really great about the world here is that uh, there are so many. Like, the Sekiro world is huge. Like, this, uh, area, this era that they're in, 
and um, matched up with that world of Japan that they're in is created really, really nicely. Um, in the sense where you can go certain places and then uh, you can go explore a cliff and then at one point you're going to run into a serpent. And then you go somewhere else and there's going to be a gigantic, you know... Um, there's going to be, like, you go to a temple area full of, like, a flooded temple area, and then it's going to be just suddenly uh, a giant carp jumps out of the water. And there's all these different things, I think, just the creatures and the bosses and this corrupted world that Sekiro is starting to explore and realize really comes to life as you go through it. Because every single area is different. When you're in the mountains, there's a different um, concept you meet these different people and then this world that is being cursed and becoming ill as you meet these NPCs um, from every single time that you die and you revive type of thing and this whole concept and this whole world the story binds so well with the environment that it creates from the for this world yeah I mean it was very surprising we went with this over instead of like ghosts of um Hiroshima, um, which is the other obviously the other popular samurai game at the moment, but definitely this is a real fun twist on the the Souls formula because obviously the Dark Souls games have the have their fans much like Bloodborne, and when we look at Sekiro, it's again it's giving it that sort of samurai twist feudal Japan, which is always popular, and obviously giving it the adding the fantastical elements only really sort of adds to the fun as well. So for myself, it just brings back a lot of memories of Tenchu Stealth Assassins. Which is never a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Sekiro is really uh, a different type of type of soul game in the sense that you know where there's a lot of dodging and whatnot for um, their normal Souls games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls and that type of thing for boss battles. This one really focuses on um, deflection. So you have a lot of deflection, a lot of um, you have to manage your posture, you have to manage a lot of these um, just. You know, there's a lot of there's a higher level, I guess, of of timing and uh, just you know, in order to create to be able to fight these bosses. Because once you take away the element of dodging and you really have to parry and you really have to deflect some uh, someone else's like your the the boss's um, attacks, it becomes I think a lot more technical in that sense and a lot more challenging. Um, I mean. I'm sure people who are Souls gamers are probably, like, criticizing every word I say. I'm not a Souls gamer, so, you <laughs> yeah, know, just, the, this is my observation. The fans of the gets good. <laughs> and, and my, yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, Sekiro is a beautiful game. I mean, you go from every single area, and I think that when I was watching this game, what made it that, in, that much more engaging was, you know, because I'm not really into Souls games in general, but... I mean, this is the first game, uh, Souls game, that I was really, really interested in seeing because of the land that they create. And it's uh, the more specific area they're in is uh, a land called Ashina. And you keep coming back to this area type of thing where, you know, I mean, the, the game pretty much takes place throughout a very long day. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to keep going back and fighting different areas. Um but yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of stuff to discover in it. You know, you got dragons and you got you got snake serpents and you got bulls and you got actual you know corrupted monks and all that sort of stuff. And there's I think the story and the world that it creates is just so is just so interesting, especially when you have um, the shinobi like Wolf himself also has 
a story behind it where, you know, at one point he, he will have to fight people that he's crossed his path with before. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, obviously I think the game might not be as pretty to look at as Ghosts of Tsushima. But, um, and if you ask me why I put Sekiro on, it's mostly because I've seen Sekiro gameplay. I haven't seen any of Ghost of, Shi oh, Ghost of Tsushima yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, that's, that, that's, uh, you know, I really, I really do love this world a lot. I, I think it's, it's one of an outstanding world. Like, you know, the first world that, the world itself really makes me want to try and play the game, but at the same time, I know I'll be garbage. So <laughs> that's why <laughs> I, I haven't really taken that leap yet. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, so what's next on your list? Uh, next up, we've got Death Stranding from uh, Hideo Kojima. Uh, this was obviously his first game when he separated from Konami back in uh, 2015. And basically, uh, Sony Entertainment said, you just come to us and make whatever you want. And that's exactly what he did uh, with uh, Death Stranding, a game which we got the most puzzling trailers all edited by Kojima we had no clue what was going on but it sure looked pretty and uh, the game itself is not probably for all tastes it is essentially a walking simulator um, where you essentially walk around what is supposed to be a post-apocalyptic United States but it's actually looks more like Greenland which is still nice and you get to listen to shoegaze but you uh, play Porter Bridges, played by Norman Reedus, and you're a carrier tasked with delivering supplies to isolated colonies and connecting them to a wireless communications network as you basically are trying to restore the connection between these different colonies that have been uh, set up, all while avoiding the ghosts known as BT, um, which are like oily ghosts that uh, appear to people when they're near death and they can cause the rain to... Um, uh, for which if it gets you wet causes you to age and just, just all these wonderful dark elements in this uh, game and the fact that you have a baby in a jar called BB who helps you to see ghosts it's, there's a lot of classic Kojima things but compared to his other games when we look at like the Metal Gear Solid games this one is one of the first where the world is as fun as the characters that inhabit it and certainly when we were putting together this list obviously our mind went to things like Metal Gear Solid and it was really the case that when we look at Metal Gear Solid the characters are already fun but the world itself is kind of generic as it's just either a facility or you're out in the desert and I think when it came to Death Stranding it was really the first game where the world is just as engaging and uh, beautiful as, as these characters that inhabit it and I think it's been the perfect game especially for the lockdown that once you've had done like the Animal Crossing thing and you want to play something with a little more depth to it uh, Death Stranding has just been like the perfect way to just sort of lose yourself when you're in this when you can't actually go anywhere just to go out and battle the wilderness because that's one of the biggest threats here while there's obviously like rogue bandits there that want to steal your parcels and then you've obviously got these oil ghosts the bts the real sort of challenge is how you make your way from like one point to the other the fact that you have to construct ladders and bridges to and use ropes to rappel down and the real fun is just in trying to get your get your assignments to that next location and it's uh, all topped up by this really sort of fascinating story and as I said with the characters are all really engaging as well and um, there's just fantastic uh, sort of 
acting and voice work throughout when you've obviously got the likes of Norman Reedus who obviously plays your main character you've got Mads Michelson in there you've got Guillermo del Toro and Nicholas um, Reffin uh, in there as well so it's just this real interesting cast of people that uh, Kojima's brought across and the fact that he only makes you wonder what he would have done if he had finally been able to like realise that Silent Hills project um, <laughs> and I think there's certain elements that you see within this game certainly within like the ghost figures but um, yeah this is a game that I think while it's probably not to old taste it's just been the most wonderful uh, way to lose myself and keep my sanity in these unique times uh, just getting out there <laughs> wandering the wilderness yeah but I think you know like I agree in the sense that you know um, Death Stranding is set in, in you know like you said an alternate type of USA where um the post-apocalypse world is, you know, I think a lot of games that we choose is, is set in some kind of decrepit <laughs> world. <laughs> and, and right from the start, from the trailers and whatnot, you already know that this world is really, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of depth to it, even from the trailers, because it's so different, right? You have, you know, like <laughs> the trailers was kind of like this puzzling mix of, uh, a baby in a jar and, <laughs> and then these like dementor looking que uh, creatures flying around invisible and um that seems like they can suck in your soul or something and there's all these different things which uh you know make this world really different from things that we've seen before and i think that when you have a game like this that's what makes that stranding stand out and it and i think in that sense it really is um really brings back, you know, like, Kojima having his own kind of space to kind of just do whatever he yeah. wants shows that he's able to really work in that extent of, you know, game design and, uh, you know, world building and just create something that is, you know, probably the next step of where he wants to go, you know, after, you know, Metal Gear and all that army <laughs> and, and soldiers and, and whatnot. This is a different game that, you know, takes takes us to a different uh somewhere different. And it it's a it's a it's a good it's a new start for him. Let's just oh say. yeah, definitely so. And it, the the gameplay mechanics in so many ways remind me a lot of Mud Runner where it's sort of like every every inch is a mile to get through. It's just the the slug <laughs> the fact that you have a balance mechanic and you have to you have this in depth um loadout screen so you have to choose how you you stack all these things because basically as the game goes on you're turning Norman Reedus into a human pack horse as um, you see how much stuff you can weigh on him and obviously the more stuff you've got you're carrying with it, it affects his balance so the fact that you're constantly having to tweak the trigger buttons to keep your balance so of course it's always everywhere you go you always have to either climb up a big hill or run down a big hill so you're uh <laughs> you're trying to stop you losing all your parcels and stuff and there's just a real satisfaction that when you've battled your way for some like 30 minutes over like over some big hill and you see off in the distance like your location there's just this overwhelming satisfaction of like yes i did it it's like you feel like those guys who uh those crazy rich people want to go and climb everest or die in strange places <laughs> <laughs> but you know over in the safety of your home <laughs> Okay, Kim, what's next on the list? Stop <laughs> doing the numbers. <laughs> so uh, for the 12th pick is uh, we're going on somewhere that's, you know, maybe the most more popular choice here, um, and that's Raccoon City. Um, a very, I guess, 
a very classic type of choice because, you know, Resident Evil is uh, in my blood. <laughs> and I really, really love it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Raccoon City is obviously built from the Resident Evil uh, franchise. And while it seems to come more to life in, I don't know, movies and such, um, you know, Resident Evil is in the, in, in the games and I guess it starts off mostly in Resident Evil 2. And Raccoon City, I think, it's hard to ignore because it's kind of like that central area where, you know, it's kind of ground zero of where everything kind of shit hits the fan <laughs> and you get zombies and mutants and the T-virus outbreak. And um, and in that sense, you when you walk through the city of, you know, especially now that they've, you know, remade the second game. You really get this idea of the city that it surrounds, right? You know, the how Raccoon City has fallen apart and and just how everything is, I don't know, run by zombies. I don't know how to say, but it's just like this whole world is such a big focus, right? Yeah, definitely. So Raccoon City, I think you just kicked everything up the notch because obviously in the first game you were in the mansion and it's sort of like a haunted house sort of feel. And then when we have Raccoon City and the fact that it... The opening of the game, you're basically in the aftermath of a tanker crash, so you're surrounded by zombies, and you have to. Your first thing is you have to run away from this horde of zombies that will take you down. If you dawdle, they will overpower you and take you down. And I love the fact that with the game, I mean, you either start as just Leon or you start as Claire, and the first guy you encounter in the gun shop he's either wielding a shotgun if you're playing Leon's story or he's wielding a crossbow if you're in Claire's story and uh, these subtle little changes even though they're in the same location these different paths that you take and the fact that you start obviously at the police station and you run around to the, the police station finding you know different keys and clues and you've got to all these different Romero sort of throwbacks, such as like the zombie arms coming through the wall, which is obviously a nod to Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. and uh, all these fun, fun little spooks. And then you go into the sewer and you find out there's this whole laboratory set up underneath the police station. So I think they did such a great day- thing of when they were promoting the game because you just thought it was like over oh, in the police station. And then when you get in the game, it's like, oh no, there's this whole other bit underneath that you uh, get to explore because obviously the Umbrella Corporation. Uh, sneaky sneaky like that so but um <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's a great location i mean the fact we didn't have it once but twice because obviously resident evil nemesis is still in the same location so it's uh yeah and and i mean yeah i mean like resident evil is also um you know the way that it builds raccoon city is that you go through the different facilities and then the world of, you know, not, I guess it expands further, Raccoon City and more, <laughs> is really the fact that every single part you learn about the Umbrella Corporation and you learn about, you know, the um, the martial law that is um, set in the city. And the environment itself is, I think, the world in whole is really set not only by the city itself, but the rules that govern it and the destruction that has been caused by this T-virus. And, you know, obviously Umbrella is a big uh, big element to it and all these uh, different corporations and whatnot and, you know, all the little plans and secrets and that sort of thing um, really builds up this world in, in general. Oh, right? definitely so. When we, even when we look back at the original PlayStation 2 release, 
just the immersiveness of that world and the fact that when you're as Leon and you go in the police station there's all these like plans for like your welcome party and you read different notes about like the planning party commission and um, the fact you're coming in after the aftermath of this this event where the zombies are obviously broken in and all the police officers have pretty much disappeared apart from the one who eventually turns into a zombie himself which is again just a just a real grandstand moment to that game so <laughs> but no Raccoon City it's no matter how many like years that pass and goes on even with the remake it's it's never lost its charm it's still a really great location and just even now you think of it and you think of, think back and you think of all the different sort of like areas within that game that uh, that it throws at you and just that was what the the earlier Resident Evil games were so good at. They just took you on this journey, even though it gives you this sense that you're exploring. It was constantly like guiding you forwards and uh, controlling where you went, even though it was giving you this illusion of freedom of where you were going. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, as we, where, where are we going for our midway point now? Yeah, our midway point, we're going to a game whose location I adore, but the game not so much. And that is Rapture from Bioshock. Um, Rapture is a art deco nightmare located under the sea um, with undertones of Anne Ryan's uh, fountainhead to it as well. And basically you um, enter into this this world um, and it's uh, down to you to uncover the many secrets and it's a world inhabited by giant heavily armoured titans called Big Daddies who protect the little sisters who who gather the eve and uh, you have the option of either rescuing the little sisters or you can you know kill the little sisters and become all the more powerful and it's this wonderful subtle choice system where you either like going to become ultimately super evil or you're going to become super um super good but yeah i've the world of rapture is just absolutely stunning there's bad guys and villains from like big daddies and splicers are just really fun it's just the gameplay mechanics i could just never get into and i know there's people <laughs> who are listening to this who are huge fans of uh of bioshock and um and it's and it's games but as much as I enjoyed elements of it, I mean, there's only so many pipe puzzles one person can do in their lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're underwater. What else well, do you yeah, want, I don't, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's all like, hack this machine. And it's like, oh, great, another pipe puzzle. So you do your pipe puzzle. And the first few times you do it, it's great and it's fun. And then it's sort of like, oh, no, I've got to hack everything and everything's going to be a pipe puzzle. And it's sort of like, can we just, like, mix this up a bit, please? <laughs> but, um... Yeah, it good for you if you enjoyed this game. I just liked looking at the world and just going through these tunnels. And the fact you get the real sense that you're underwater, you look out the side and you see like a whale, or you see this like immense underwater cityscape. Uh, this fact that they created this under secret underwater world for themselves, and ultimately it all descended into chaos and the reasons why is uh uncovered as you go through the game and i've just i'm not going to go too much into the game so i think there's people out there who still haven't played it i think it's it's good for them to do it but yeah the 1960s aesthetic is also really fun because you get things like tommy guns and shotguns and mm. that and i think number um 
the fact that he gave us the big daddies and the little sisters, I think, alone um, deserved its place on this list for that. So, but uh, yeah, and I mean, and and you know, we like I talked about it in, in Abzu before, and this is a different type of world because it's different but similar, right? Where it is also an underwater city. Uh, Rapture is, you know, like you said, said in the 1960s. So a lot of it is. You know, like the weapons and all that stuff that's available, it, it will will show up there. But I remember, I, I think I'm one of, I'm in the same, I'm kind of in the boat that didn't finish Bioshock. I, shock, I remember it. I started it, but I don't know. I don't think I finished it. But the world was really, really nice in the sense that, you know, uh, it's one of those worlds where it's really unforgettable, right? You go in and there's this kind of eerie feeling. Um, there's this kind of, you know, what it reminded me was is this like this, steampunk version of Titanic or something. It does got that real Titanic feel. I mean, as I said, because see, when you look at the history of the world, I mean, the, the fact that uh, the business magnate Andrew Ryan, he, can, he builds the world in like 1940s, so that would obviously t- where you get the Titanic feel there to it. And at the same time, you have this Snowpiercer class division that's happened yes. in the world, and you find out more about that as you go um, as you go through it. Um, but oh, it's, I, I just wish that I enjoyed the game more because I enjoy being in the world so much and that's yeah. the reason it's obviously where it is on our list and I think as I say it was just no matter how much I enjoyed this world there was just the gameplay element and it just took too much away from it but even if you're playing like Rapture or you're obviously looking at uh, Bioshock Infinite um, they're just really immersive worlds to lose yourself in and as I said I just wish those those mechanics were just a little sharper for myself uh, even though there's obviously unquestionably got its fans out there um, but uh, yeah so that brings us to our halfway point we're going to take a quick break and when we return we're going to count down the top 10 of our list of top uh, video game destinations. So, stick around. Do you like movie podcasts hosted by inebriated people? That's Kai with the cracking voice and Heather's touched by evil. One thinks he's Spider-Man, the other is a ninja. It's the Man I Love Film Podcast, it's the MILFcast. Hey everybody, I'm Kai. And I'm Heather. And we are the host of MILFcast, the Man I Love Films podcast, the unofficial official podcast of com. This is the podcast where we like to talk about what we've been watching, talk about movies, but mainly we just like to drink, be silly, and play a whole bunch of games. So we think every other week you should grab a drink, snuggle up, and let us make sweet love to your ears. Otherwise, we'll make sweet love to your couch. So come and find us on iTunes. Just search for MILFcast. Moving on with the countdown, we come to our top 10 now. And kicking off our top 10, Kim, what do we have? Yeah, and 10th place is going to be um, Until Dawn by Supermassive Games. A, you know, a fairly popular game, I think, when it came out. But where it's an interactive horror movie set, uh, well, horror, interactive horror game. Um where it's set in a world of it's kind of like a cabin in the woods but set in a snowscape and a mountain in the middle of nowhere um and these friends go back to this place as an i think it's an anniversary of someone's death (laughs) 
Yeah, it's um, the anniversary of their friend's death uh, that they yes. returned to the mansion in the mountains that um, that they were partying at the the years previous. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a, this expansive landscape that you have to explore within the choice base, um, the often choice based system that uh, Until Dawn has. And um, for myself, I mean, this is one of the those those exclusives that justifies going out and buying a PlayStation or a second console just to play this game, as it's an yeah. absolutely awesome uh, exclusive for PlayStation, and one that they've just constantly just messed around with when it's come to doing the follow-ups. So, <laughs> yeah, and you know, Until Dawn is one of those world one of those worlds which you know you kind of. I think for, especially for horror fans, it's even a bigger deal because it really is a very immersive type of story where you have all these teens um, and potential scream queens <laughs> mm-hmm. and you just get to play this game where you try and save them uh, as much as you can and at the end you eventually get to a point where you have a finale of whether you saved anybody <laughs> or how many people have you saved. and that really builds up the replayability because you can always go back and see if you can try and save more people next or kill all of them if you want, you know? Um, so, but then, I mean, you know, talking back about the world, uh, the world is really great for the atmosphere and how it moves from different areas. Like, you have your mansion section and you have your snowscape and each of these different places of how, even from how they get there to... Um, being inside the house to how their story is, you know, built on and and what attacks them, uh, essentially, right? Um, and that kind of turns into something of kind of like a, I don't know, creature feature type of story where you have all these little tidbits that create this really, I guess, this really creepy world. Um, and that vibe works really well, especially because the more you get immersed into it, the more you feel like, you're part of this world and you can really get involved oh definitely definitely so i mean this is such an immersive world to explore i mean on the outset it looks like oh another resident evil clone just with the obviously the twist of having the choice based system in there but this is such an immersive experience that you actually feel some real sort of tension as you're going around the the mansion and you explore like the cellars and you especially when you go out there's a scene where you're going through the woods uh to go to one of the secondary cabins and it's just uh really kind of tense it really sort of plays uh tricks in your, your mind and it doesn't help by the fact that each of the chapters is broken up with uh psychological analysis by peter stormer's psychologist that uh seems to determine just to constantly mess with your mind even more so yeah but um, yeah, it's a definitely it's an interesting experience, and it's the fact that the game doesn't confine itself just to the mansion as you would probably expect. You go down into the mines, you explore the surrounding woods. There's all these different places that you can go to, and that uh, potentially can uh, your your group of teens can uh, fall foul to. Yeah, and and you know what's really really nice about it, I guess, really really fun about this is also you know the amount of lore that's behind this, and you know you have obviously um, I guess a bit of a spoiler would be you know kind of Wendigos showing up, and then there's um somewhat of a slasher element to it, and it it really adds to this world that they've built um, because every corner seems to be danger, and you <laughs> everywhere you walk you you don't know what's gonna attack you next. 
Um, and that, and that, and I think that that's really um, key to what makes Until Dawn really, really fun in that sense. And in, and, and you know, because of its its world building. Yep, definitely so. Yeah, so what's next in uh, number nine? Uh, number nine, we have one of the largest uh, landscapes on our list, and that is the world of Los Santos in GTA V. Uh, this is actually the second time that we've visited uh, Los Santos, having originally seen it back in the original games. Um, when we got to GTA V, and we obviously had the power of the PlayStation 4 originally, and also the Xbox um 360 i want to say it's been a while since this game's been around so long the fact that it got not moved it only boosted on to our current gen of consoles but also onto this newer generation of consoles as well as rockstar determined to milk every single penny they can from this game uh but the game the landscape itself is based on southern california and los angeles and it's so funny when you go through this world and you see like all these different key areas like when you go down to the beach and you see like the ferris wheel on the dock and then you watch trashy tv on e and you see like keeping up with the kardashians and all the stock footages all these locations that you become also familiar with just through playing the game and i mean the world is so expansive and it's as i say it's one of the biggest maps that we've seen for gta gta to date uh the fact that it's not just a cityscape you can go out into the wilderness you've got woods you've got desert there it's a real interesting ecosystem to explore and just drive around in. and certainly i know that i lost a year of my gaming time to just exploring this world and seeing what it had to offer and i think certainly when it comes to when we come to naming those like immersive worlds and i think gta 5's los santos is certainly one that has got to be up there and all the gta worlds today have had their must enough in one way or another and i mean it came close to obviously including uh gta 4's version of new york but it was just the sheer scale of gta 5 that really sort of pipped it over and you add on to this all the usual features of the gta games such as like the radio stations and it's and the people on the street there's just all these different things that you can you can go to now in the worlds and it's just adds such a immersiveness to this uh this world that there only seem to be building even though obviously the fans would really love for gta 6 to be announced sometime soon yeah i mean gta is one of those titles especially you know gta 5 it's been around since 2013 and you know (laughs) it doesn't (laughs) seem that long but it's eight years that it's been around and you know, I think that it's a real, you know, you know, it's a real kind of accomplishment in itself. The world that it's built that people will still want to go back after so many years and constantly or or, you know, once in a while pop back in and see what's going on. Because I, I have a few friends that actually do have the, that thing where they tell me sometimes that they'll pop back into GTA 5 just to see, you know, what's new or whether there's something different or the enjoyment of being in that world and that I think the open worldness of something that is, you know, fake but real at the same time really gives you that freedom to do what you can't do in real life but be in something that feels like you're in a real world type of thing. Oh, definitely so. And I think when we play the single-player game, the fact you've got random encounters that you can have, that you can just stumble across different situations within the games that aren't 
marked has been missions i think it's a really nice touch and then when we look at the gta online and see what the players themselves have been doing where they've been like off like creating motorcycle gangs and <laughs> and how are these different sort of clans it's not just a case of where you have clans of people just want to go around and shoot each other you've got people who are running their own like their own like shipping industries through the game and it's just creating this amazing canvas that people have just done some really creative and interesting things with whether it's for the level design for the missions or whether they're just as i said doing their own fantasy sort of role play within the game there's just created this wonderfully expansive canvas for people just to go out and sort of make their own stories within this game so for sure yeah, especially, you know, I mean, there's also, you know, that whole multiplayer element, right? So you can, you know, the world feels even more real when you can bring your friends into the fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, as I said, I spent a good year being part of an online biker gang. It was like the most surreal experience. And the fact that you all had, like, assigned roles within this, this gang and this chapter. And you spend Sunday nights riding information stuff. It was, it was just the most surreal experience to, like be doing the humdrum experience and then Sunday nights you're off in a biker gang so <laughs> but um number eight Kim, Kim what have we got there number eight is um Horizon Zero Dawn and there's no specific name that was ever given to Horizon Zero Dawn's world except for a post-apocalyptic world <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah I mean I think that, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn really makes a list because there are certain games you look at and the first moment that you see it, what happens is that you fall in love with a game for what the world is. And I think that for Horizon Zero Dawn, that's what happened for me is before I played the game, I fell in love with the world because, you know, you're looking at this post-apocalyptic world that is so unique. It's full of these giant... I don't know, monsters and weapons. And it's just very, very, I don't know how you call it. Like, it's just, this is, there's just these giant creatures that are walking around. They look like dinosaurs, but they seem to be kind of like high tech dinosaurs. Oh yeah. And, it's kind of like, and a, it's, 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 I know what you're saying. It's kind of like that uh, sort of steampunk sort of fantasy. The fact that all these, creatures which roam around this world are now basically like robots uh but they've all got they've created this new ecosystem as like mankind's been pushed back into a new stone age and the fact that you're having as playing as echo you'd like forced into this alloy alloy Alloy. even they've all got the similar names now um, as I love the fact that you you learn how to adapt to this world and how you can manipulate these creatures for your own sort of ever good. But no, it's to like look out and you see like herds of these uh, machines like grazing or you encounter like the like some there's a task early on in the game where you've got to um, take on like a saber tooth tiger style cat. And it's just like the design to these creatures is just so fantastic, not combined with the fact that rather than being a post-apocalyptic world, it's a very lush and very green world. So you get these remnants of the old world throughout, and at the same time you see this world that nature's reclaimed and given given birth to these sort of mechanical monsters that you're trying to find uh, sort of the secrets behind. Yeah, and, you know, I think what's really great about it, and um, it was, like, kind of, like, a fun fact when I was trying to research a little more information, was that this post-apocalyptic uh, setting, they actually had consulted 
anthropologists to kind of, uh, kind of like show the world's decay, what it would look like, you know, over a millennium and how it would look like now based on, you know, like the world now till later. And I think that that's such a interesting little detail to, to do because it, it, it kind of makes the world feel even better in that sense. Um, especially, you know, you're looking at this world and you, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> I just don't know if our technology will ever be to the phase where we'll be making mechanical creatures before our world gets overcome with some next ice age, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then revert back to this kind of lush green forest where, you know, everything, your weapons are all mechanical and, um, but still in kind of a stone age type of form. And it's kind of a really interesting blend that, you know, makes you really excited to get into this world to see, oh my God, what type of different dinosaurs are they going to, mechanical dinosaurs are they going to create? What type of machines are there going to be? And, you know, how did this all come to be? And it, it's just like this really exciting world to discover, um, just you know at least for me that's <laughs> that's it was really it was it was it's really exciting to watch you know like to play the game but i think the world itself is what caught me um in the first place great yeah um, moving on to the next one uh moving on to seven uh we have pandora from borderlands uh pandora is a lever apocalyptic future uh, planet uh, where the borderline games all take place where you as uh, your chosen vault hunter set out in search of loot and glory um, I think the reason I wanted to include borderlands in this list is that while the setup is something that we've we've seen many times before there's just so many colorful aspects to this world there'd be like characters in this that um that, that just really sort of bring this place to life whether it's as i said if you're looking at like your constant um companion rat trap the robot or if you're the merchants that you speak to along the way and even just the random bosses you encounter such as shooting mac shoot face um it just constantly seems to throw things at you and i think especially from when we look at Borderlands 2 onwards where they moved away from just that pretty sort of brown desert setting and we got like Icelands and uh, we've got a real sort of mixture of the different terrains that became a lot more sort of interesting in the world with and then when we looked at uh, the Borderlands game from Telltale that it just took it to a whole new sort of level and it would just really sort of made this whole experience so complete um, and you combine with the fact that while we've obviously got this post-apocalyptic sort of setting, this is like one of the few games that is just constantly trying to be funny with it. Um, as it's a game, as I say, it's a game all about finding loot and find, it's finding billions and billions of guns to use on people. So it's um, it's it's just a fun world to be in, and it's uh, it's kind of refreshing when you look at the other sort of first-person shooters out there, which are all about you know these boys own war adventures and stuff and then you got borderlands which is just they're being stupid and that's what that's what we love about it yeah i mean pandora is a you know i the only exposure i've had of pandora would be in the telltale games i haven't actually played the 
the main game itself. But I think that, you know, having that kind of desert setting and sort of thing and adding the humor, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things that, you know, really is, is fun because, you know, obviously Pandora is a alien planet setting and that's um, as a post-apocalypse that's a little bit, you know, a little bit different and obviously this planet has its own plans, has its own little things that's going on and and it's because of the world that that it currently is in that there's you know obviously a lot of different things that you can discover as well yeah and this the fact that it's not just you know generic bad guys the fact you've got this whole ecosystem that's equally determined to kill you so there's various creatures and monsters that you encounter along the way um and it's funny obviously you draw the comparison to bad max because during those original games it was kind of like this parody of Mad Max and then Mad Max Fury Road comes out and it feels like it's taking hints in Borderlands so one uh, inspired the other and then back again so it was kind of because certainly when I look at the War Boys they're very similar to the Psychos in the game they're just all amped up uh, nutbags so <laughs> but uh, number six <laughs> yeah number six is um, Hollow Knight uh, Hollow Knight's world is called Hollow Nest, and for those who don't know Hollow Knight, it's, I, I don't know who doesn't know Hollow Knight, but Hollow Knight is a 2017 uh, Metroidvania game, pretty much, uh, where it has kind of Souls elements to it, but uh, it's kind of, I think it kind of is defined in the world of Souls-like as well, but it's in this world where you play as this, uh, this nameless knight, and it's in this world that is, um, it's a pretty much an ancient plague infested kingdom and your characters are all different types of insects <laughs> all the way down to every boss that you fight is some kind of funky insect <laughs> and uh, it's you know the world is cool because of that sort of um just a different world. It's, it's, it's such a different world to be in the world of insects and this whole um, lore that is behind this knight and um, they're just kind of, you know, the things they need to fight for and the art style and, you know, the tone of the whole thing. The world is just, you know, there's so many little mysteries to discover. And as you go around, you go to these different minds and I think part of this world is is all the people, you know, the little scattered NPCs that are around. And they create such a wonderful type of little environment. You know, they all have different little, they have their own little language. <laughs> it's, it's just such a, you know, in such a brutal type of world where every single corner, this, this um, knight is running around. They're getting attacked by all these, these, all kinds of different uh, type of enemies and there are a lot a lot of enemies that it's really really fun because you know you have a coliseum style of fighting and then you have these big bosses that you need to fight and then they have a, a network where you have a little type of uh i don't know what you call it it's like a praying mantis type of deal or something like that i don't know if you call it praying mantis it's something like that where it's this insect that carries you as you know you go from you know fast travel from one place to the next and you know you go down deep under and you have kind of like these little uh different this area of the forest and then you can go into different when you get an ability that you can go into a dreamscape type of thing and you can go kind of into the dream world and all of these things kind of 
put together create this really, really elaborate world of Hollow Knight that I don't think anybody expected when they first started playing this game. And yet, you know, the world becomes so fun to be in and you kind of forget about how brutal all the all the enemies are to fight as you progress you know like the bigger bosses obviously yeah yeah um hollow knight's sort of like one of those little indie games that could really and i think the fact that we've got consoles like the switch um which it just seems absolutely perfect for uh much like neon demon it's kind of these metrovania games kind of really come into their own there so it's um it's it's surprising how deep the world is, especially for how simple it looks on the surface. But we always seem to find that whenever you have one of these Metroidvania games come through. So, absolutely. Um. So yeah, what's next? Next up on our list, I've lost the sheet, which is not good. Um. Next up, we have another fan favorite, and that is Silent Hill from Silent Hill. Um. <laughs> This is a game which, when it came out, I mean, a lot of people were unsure where, where it was trying to be. I mean, especially because Resident Evil was all the buzz at the time. And I think as the games had gone on, it sort of really held its own. Um, especially when we look at the likes of Resident Evil 2, uh, which is still a game... Silent that... Hill 2? So, yes. So, when we look at, so when you look at Resident Evil 2, that's awesome as well. <laughs> uh, when we look at Resident... Oh, for fuck's sake... When we look at Silent Hill 2, I think the game really sort of came into its own there and each game has opened up this town a little more and it's added some new characters. We saw like the introduction of Pyramid Head in number 2, we've had the bunny <laughs> that hangs out at the creepy amusement park and there's uh, all these little elements that just add on to it the fact that you've got all these sort of nightmarish creatures the town's just constantly covered in fog and you've got the crackle of your radio which um alerts you this monsters nearby and the fact that this world you have to go through like you often go through like areas once and then you go back through them again and they're all sort of like rusted and corroded by the evil of the town and you add on to this like this weird cast of characters that you encounter along your way um and the, let alone the character's own personal journey as the town sort of becomes this metaphor for whatever guilt they're, they're carrying with them. And I think when, especially when we look at Silent Hill 2 and the fun they had with those stupid endings so that you can have, like, the alien ending or you can have the one where the dog is controlling everything. Um, so there's some real fun <laughs> elements to this, uh, this, this game. But, no, I think Silent Hill is, like, still one of those games that we're all still obsessed with especially with number two and the fact that we've never been able to get a decent port of it so the fact that it kind of justifies you hanging on to your ps2 just to play silent hill 2 so yeah for sure i mean you know silent hill is one of those games where you know i always think that when you create a world good enough to be adapted um granted now everything's adapted but uh, you know, when you have a game where, you know, you create a, you create this adaptation and the world is just so big, um, it's kind of, you know, Silent Hill is kind of like Resident Evil in a certain way. <laughs> because, you know, just like Raccoon City, Silent Hill builds as you go through the games and, you know, you have more things that show up and it gives a lot more platform. And I think that, you know, this is... This, this is probably why, to me, I, I don't know, everybody probably has their own reason why they like Silent Hill, but 
Um, I think that, you know, the world itself becomes this, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it has this creepy bits to it, right? It feels especially, um, uh, I don't know, uh, empty <laughs> would be the word, I guess. Um, that creates like a bit of creepiness to it as well. Yeah, it's definitely the isolation of this this town. So that when you do, you, you kind of uh, so grateful when you do actually meet someone who's not like a knife wielding toddler or some mutant former townsperson. Um, I, I just, just remember like, and how the story also like just unfolds so slowly and it just constantly messes with your mind. I think it's just a really, it's just it's such an immersive experience. Um, for out and it's one that I mean I played the, like the original game like years ago now and it still sticks with me like so many moments of the game so it's one that I still um, I I still look upon fondly and I think I think it's uh, one that one that those few games of like the PS2 era that sort of really stood the test of time so what's next Kim? Yeah, so moving to um. Moving to number four on our list. Oh, we're getting to the front. <laughs> um, we're looking at one of my favorite games, um, a game that you know I frequently go back to, and that's uh, 2012's Journey by That Game Company. So, um, you know, if you don't know, That Game Company, it's the name of the studio. I didn't just, you know, make it up. But... <laughs> But yeah, uh, Journey is um, set in, <laughs> it's really crazy that we have another desert scape. Um, but yeah, Journey is set in a world where you're this robed figure who just wanders in this vast desert. Um, and you're traveling around, you're trying to figure out, you know, this journey to to your destination. <laughs> I don't know what you say. Um, yeah, because, you know, the world is called, um, I forgot what the world's called. The, the world is called the Traveler's Place. So essentially it is quite a um, vague title because the game itself is fairly vague. Um, you pretty much journey through each area and then you have little objectives that you need to do. And then you have like the, one of the best things about this world probably is, um, I guess, the beauty of it all. You know, you're in this desert and you have these little uh, flags that are flying like in in the sand and then the world that builds around it and this whole you know going towards your your final destination that as the player you don't really know because your your character isn't talking there is no narrative and as you go into certain areas um going further and deeper into this kind of kingdom-esque type of world you kind of get into these sequences where you're sliding down the sand really quickly with some you know uh, orchestral music going <laughs> and it gets really exciting to play um, you know one of the really fun parts of the game is also that you know if someone is playing the game at the same time as you you could actually meet other travelers on your journey um, and uh, I actually didn't know that until after I shut off the game because I thought it was my own journey but I thought I was just meeting someone else like that was an NPC but it was an actual person <laughs> that was playing the game at the same time. Um, but they so, really plays with you then. Huh? They probably just thought you like ignoring them or something so. No I was actually following it because it was the same it looked exactly like you right? Okay. 
So yeah, so it was it was uh, you know obviously when when you go back to play it you you like I I discovered this you know later than 2012 and when I went back to play it I think when it first aired like when it first played you probably didn't have that but I don't know if you did I don't remember but when I played it recently like recently like a uh, four years ago or something four or five years ago maybe it was um you know I had that encounter which was really weird because you know at that point the game's been out for quite a while and you don't expect people are still playing it um so it's interesting to still have know that people are still in this world and still you know getting in you know still still discovering this game i guess but yeah anyways besides the point (laughs) (laughs) the 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 point is that the world itself is this you know elaborate desert pretty much I think at one point you do hit you do hit some kind of like snowscape. I can't remember if it's this one. I'm starting to mix up my games now. Um, I think at a certain point near the end you kind of head towards something and it, it becomes more of like this. I don't know if it's a sandstorm or a snowstorm or something. I can't remember what it is anymore. But the world itself is is you know it's built so nice and your character that's moving forward really feels like you know they're kind of struggling through it as you get further down because i don't know if it's a it's the fatigue or whatever but you're going through this and it, it's it's um you know you, you start there there are these different things that they meet and this world is just you know it has its own form of dangers like little dangers that you know it's not too hard to evade but they're there type of thing and the world is simple but yet there is this deeper story to it and that's that's kind of why I really like this world and I you know it's it's something that it's one of those worlds that I really love to go back to all the time because it's just so beautiful and even you know after so many years when you go back you still feel this really fun excitement of, of you know exploring into this world that feels kind of equally enchanting um, as it is you know adventurous Definitely so. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful game. I mean, it's much in the similar f- frame as Abzu. The fact that you have this point you know, out in the distance and the mountains that you have to just trek out to and how the world unfolds as you go on this journey. It's just such a enchanting little game. And you wouldn't think it, looking at it, that a game like this would be so engaging, especially as it's just you tracking across the sands um, and uh, doing the occasional bit of platforming but no it's a really enjoying and more important more immersive experience than you would uh, certainly imagine and one that's just like absolutely it's just this experience that you that's just a joy to to take and be immersed in this world and I think as I said just the world around you it plays such a big part because it's not like you as the character have a huge amount to do apart from just trekking to ever onwards to your uh, destination but yeah i think it's a really good choice definitely yeah i mean you know the trekking is you know when you do something simple like trekking i think some people underestimate how you know especially when you're talking about like walking sims and games with like really simple um controls where you either only jump or you're only able to do a few little things is that it gives you that space to really enjoy the world that they've built. And I think for Journey, that definitely applies, is that there there might not be a whole lot to do, but there is a whole lot to discover. Definitely so. I, I completely yeah, so agree. Uh, moving on, yeah, moving on to our top three. What's in the third place? Uh, top three is a game that we reviewed way back uh, when we first started doing Game Warp, and that is Life is Strange's Arcadia Bay. 
Um, a place that remains in my heart and in my dreams. The wonderful uh, small town with big secrets. Uh, this is just a delight, uh, full place to explore. And especially with the first game, I think with the first game, it was such a at the time it was such a unique experience to play through. And it's one a story that was so immersive and engaging that each new area that you got to unlock, whether you're going to the junkyard or you're going to the diner, or you just um you're going to you're finding out the secrets of this killer that's sort of like stalking this town like when you go to the light go to the lighthouse at the end and you see like you have to make your ultimate choice of whether you're going to save your love or you're going to destroy a whole town it's just so engaging i think when we look at the other games which followed it like uh, the prequel before the storm or life is strange 2 they just failed to capture that sort of magic even though obviously with before the storm it did give us the advantage to see some other bits of the town such as the warehouse wave at the rave at the start which was really um enjoyable there and we do obviously get that uh, great dance sequence at the school with the vortex club Mm. And I think it's only with their most recent um, game, Tell Me Why, um, that they've sort of hit on the same magic again. And again, that's just a, another fun place to explore where you've got like these brother and sister that return to the family home and you've got the secrets there. And it's yeah. this sort of like remote Alaskan town. But Arcadia Bay was just, as I said, it felt like you were in this sort of small town. You were living this sort of Twin Peaks style mystery where, it's, as I say, it's a small town with dark secrets. And I think with Arcadia Bay, they just did it so well. And even now, we'll just go back and like play through the, through the uh, game. It's just still a delight just to spend any time that you can in this world or in the homes of these characters. Yeah, I think one of the main things for Life is Strange is the world is built around, um, you know, it is a fictional town, and it, but it's set in Oregon. So you do know that part of this world that we're in is tr is real, and part of it is fake, obviously. Yeah. And Arcadia Bay is great because it's not focused on one area. It gives you different areas of this place. So, you know, you spend a good deal of time in Blackwell Academy, and... Um, just like any school, there are bullies, there are the popular kids, there are, you know, the nerdy kids, and there are, you know, the, the outcasts, that sort of thing. And you have secret clubs, like the Vortex Club that you mentioned before, um, where they have their own little secrets. And then you meet the teachers, and you meet um, the security guard, you meet the principal. And you, when you move out of there, you have your friends, you have, you know, you meet different friends, different people that you can have um, connections to that um, you would be able to, you know, um, have different decisions that are related to them, obviously. But you also get to head to different areas of the place, which is outside of these little circles of, say, your home or whatnot. And you get to go to other areas where, uh, you know, you start seeing other things that say you're coming back to this town and you're 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 experiencing some things obviously with chloe and um which is you know it's it's kind of <laughs> the you know you get to decide where this this goes but at the same time you get to kind of experience the world from you know her point of view and and the places that she can take you like you said the junkyard and whatnot yeah and you meet these places and and different people that you meet there there are you know, there are people who are not so, you know, it, it's 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 a world where there there are, you know, a murder, pretty much, well, not a murder, but something's happened, right? 
the the friend has gone missing. Um, Chloe's friend has gone missing. You don't know who it is, but you know you get involved and you start get to see more and more of what's going on and these kind of shady characters that show up and all these different things. And because of the characters and the different places and you know the the you know you get this really fleshed out world that is created simply from that and that's just from you know the first game obviously and as you get into the second game while the mechanics of the second game second game or before the storm wasn't you know really great uh the world itself was still there you know you still saw different parts of this world that you know expanded on arcadia bay from what we saw in the first game and it's just how they're able to craft this world into Kind of even that element of this world having characters, especially, you know, when you go to, when you move out of Arcadia Bay and you go into other games like Captain Spirit and all that stuff, they have their connection back and all of these, and, and somehow this world that you're in is full of people who have these superpowers and you don't know why they have it. And there's no reasoning as to how they got it. But, you know, they opened their eyes one day and they something happened and it just triggered these special powers to happen, to exist in their life. And I think that that's also part of what makes this world so exciting because you don't know where it is. And um, the one of, you know, I think that what Don't Nod did really good was try to connect this world to make it feel like, you know, all their games. I'm not sure. We haven't, you know, obviously we've only looked at the episode one of Tell Me Why, but uh, part of me feels like maybe Tell Me Why also has some kind of connection to this world if, you know, it moved out of the Alaskan landscape, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, it's... It's been kind of interesting how this world's obviously been built up, and as you said already, I mean, when we went into, like, Captain Captain Spirit was, like, announced before the release of Life is Strange 2, and that you choices you made would, like, impact on your game in, in uh, Life is Strange 2 when you actually ran into this uh, small child Captain Spirit, and depending on the choices you made, it, like, altered his look and, um, and, and how he was, so... I thought it was really kind of uh, interesting with that, and even though it's not kind of really explained why everyone suddenly got these, you know, awakening superpowers, especially with small kids, um, it's it's still been interesting to uh, play. And I think I probably would have enjoyed Before the Storm a lot more, especially because of all the nice areas that we do get to explore in that, like where we have the train rides and stuff. It's just unfortunately it was a game that was just plagued with busy work. Uh, just to keep you uh, having something to do, so it uh, kind of let itself down there. But uh, no, Arcadia Bay is still a, it's still a game that uh, lives on in the memory. Uh, so yeah, moving on to the second choice is um, <laughs> a game that we probably discussed to no ends about the theories <laughs> um, and the possibilities, and um, it's one of the games that I think for me is one of the you know also a little indie game that could type of thing where it created a world that i absolutely fell in love with um maybe that makes me a really dark person i don't know uh, and that's little nightmares um by tarzier studios um coincidentally little nightmares 2 just came out as we're recording this so uh where the world is is the maw and the maw is this dark place where you're 
I don't know <laughs> if we talk too much about it, it's going to be spoiler, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, like the world is dark. There are different creatures around the world. There is kind of this studio Ghibli S type of spirited away world, um, area near the end. Um, and it has this kind of, you know, your the maw is just this, essentially it's a boat, right? You're in this boat where there are, you're, you're this little girl, or you would, yeah, a little girl yep. called Six in her giant little, her, her big, like, yellow raincoat. And she's just running around this place um, defenseless as she's running around through these little things, sneaking around, trying to um, get to, you know, the top floor type of thing. Um, I don't know if there was an objective or not to do it, but she wakes up and that's what we have to do. We follow the path and we end up, re you know, there's little gnomes that are there, which is running around helping you and kind of comforting you, giving you hugs and stuff <laughs> that you can hug. And then you have like little areas which are horrible where, you know, the rest of the place is just creepy with these long gangly arm creatures and big, uh, big fat chefs that are <laughs> with these big ugly masks. And then, you know, it, it's it's a world that is equally f scary as, as it's mesmerizing to discover because you go through this world and it is absolutely fantasy. Um, horror fantasy at its best. Definitely so. I mean, this is a real sort of twisted vision uh, that you get to play through. And while it's a little on the short side, it is an absolutely stunning game to play. And as you said already, Kim, you play Six, the hungry little girl trying to skip the moor, which is... Uh, just inhabited by twisted built twisted like monsters um all the while where you work your way up to the top of uh, the moor where you uh, end up having to go through like this dining room sequence where these um people who come to the mall just basically gorge themselves on food and the whole feast is overseen by this geisha like master woman uh called the lady um who we, as I said, we're yet to play number two, so we're not sure how how she sort of plays in, whether there's a bigger conspiracy at play, but she's sort of like the main villain of the piece. And as I said, just the look of the lady, as I said, it's a mass geisha. It just... And when we get up to, like, the top decks and you're in this sort of, like, um, dining hall area, it's just so fantastic. And the set scenes in particular just really sort of only further bring this world to life such as the scene you've got to run across the dinner table and you've got these diners sort of scrabbling to capture you um it's it's just really it's just such a an engaging world and by the time you get to the end you just like what's the next chapter where does this story go um yeah. so yeah i'm just really excited to get into uh little nightmares too yeah, and I mean, like, it, it really expands itself when, you know, you go into the Maw and you get some more of the, and you, know, you have the DLC, which is called Secrets of the Maw, and you have three different games, and it, it goes into these little corners of the Maw that we've kind of encountered, but kind of in, pass, in, in passing through. So you have these little areas, you know, the depths, the hideaway, um, the residence, and it's it's different areas that we've been, but this, this runaway kid encounters you know, its own kind of monsters, and uh, it's it's a completely different thing, and you wonder how this also is going to connect to Little Nightmares 2. Um, that's definitely, you know, a game that's coming up 
on our review list, uh, and it, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be something to see whether you know all the theories we've talked about before and the lore and all that that we've we've discussed before when we were playing Little Nightmares and how that's going to play into into the whole thing. Definitely so. Uh, I'm really excited to to see where this story goes next, especially as we're introduced to a new character, Mono. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how their story plays into um, plays into everything. So, yeah, and you know, it'll be interesting to see where else you know what else the mall has to offer. Obviously, um, but yeah, I mean, that's you know, little nightmares. I I have to say, hands down, one of my one of my favorite worlds for sure. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, what's our number we one? On the way way in that uh, world is Oddworld. From originally seen in Abe's Odyssey and uh, only continued with the games which followed. Um, Oddworld is um, an interesting and colourful place. I mean, you play this giant called Abe who finds out that uh, his race, the Bundokans, are suddenly going to be the top of the food chain uh, for the company he works at, where the uh, are slowly eliminating races within this world to make tasty snacks. And uh, as I said, the Medokins are going to be the next on the list, and it's your job as Abe to basically escape the factory and free your fellow Medokins. Um, along the way, you gain powers to uh, aid you in your quest, and it's a really fascinating world. I mean, you obviously got this industrial landscape that you have to escape through. You go out into the wilderness uh, to start gaining your sort of like spirit powers, only to then return back to the factory and the ability that you have to sort of possess characters and just the world uh, that it all takes place in it's just such a wonderful colorful and fantastical sort of world it's just um a lot of fun to to be in and combined with this wry sense of humor that it has uh, throughout i think it's just it's just uh, such a fun game and one another one of those games that you play once and it just sort of stays stays with you and one that they've managed to successfully add to over the years. I mean, obviously we had Abe's Odyssey, then we had uh, Abe's Exodus, which was obviously the follow up, and then we have seen it go into like the console, like the Xbox, and we saw things such as like uh, Stranger's Wrath, uh, which gave um, sort of like introduced a new character into the world and the character of the Stranger. And give it more of an action sort of slant um so with the new game obviously announced for the playstation 5 and the xbox monolith um it's going to be it's going to be interesting to obviously see what the added power of these machines uh sort of brings to this world so yeah for sure i mean Oddworld is one of those worlds where it it's really weird <laughs> you look at it at first um but I think that, you know, the uniqueness is in that, that, you know, that kind of weirdness. You're set in this world of, you know, uh, kind of, you know, it has its own, its own species. Yeah. And then it has other species that are in there as well. So you, you kind of really have this, um, you know, I always feel like when a world is unique in its own way, right? I mean, Oddworld is a dry land planet, and which is very different from, you know, the earth that we live on, obviously. And the different things and the different areas that they've created at the same time you know the world has species and different things to discover and all of these things are are new right they're you know when you have a fantasy world pretty much i think it's it really is one that i think um makes for a better you know a 
a well-polished world when everything's executed well. Definitely so, and I think this is world has got so many elements that we're so familiar with, like evil industrial overlords, and the fact that you combine that with these interesting character designs, and it's just a world that you just constantly want to explore more, um, even though it's obviously shot from this sort of side-on, uh, side-scrolling platforming perspective. It still feels like a world that you, you're exploring and you're finding out more as it the further you go into it which is kind of unusual especially when we look at the size growing games they tend to be kind of like limited when we compare them to like the open world um so predecessor the open world games which sort of followed uh in the wake and obviously have the give the player the ability to sort of explore worlds um apes obviously just really just gave us this world that just felt so immersive even though it's a world of rails we still felt that we were getting so exposed to the many sort of secrets and um and mysteries that this world had to o offer and i think it's as i say it's just a world i'm just really excited to get back to especially when we look at the new game and some of the things that they've been showing us it uh it makes us only the more excited to go back to this one um we also threw it over to you the listeners to ask it asking you what your favorite video games worlds were and we got some fun uh responses back because we're probably gonna get uh probably gone completely against what they would have picked especially looking at uh what uh what uh, everyone was sort of going with and and just to reiterate what we said at the start i mean these are games that's the games that made our list it was always about the experience of being in the world rather than the gameplay that went with them um so i think it's if you've obviously played these uh played these games and and, and felt that got different things from them uh but uh heather over at head of time she went with mass effect which is no surprise really because i know she's a huge mass effect fan much like the witcher and skyrim which she had also made her list as well um greg over at the debatable podcast um again another one for mass effect also citing dishonored and bioshock's rapture um as well and uh holly picked out Pokemon Gold and Silver so I know we also had uh, people call for um, like Hyrule as well um, which is obviously Zelda I for myself Zelda always felt like such a generic fantasy world and it's another reason I didn't like choose something like Fable um, it always felt like the gameplay was more interesting than the world <laughs> it took place in but yeah I mean there uh, there are obviously no 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 doubts about the fact that there are other worlds that are definitely more popular you can talk about you know things that we've discussed you know Mario Kingdom but what makes Mario fun is not exactly the world but more maybe the gameplay I don't know <laughs> Um, but, you know, obviously there's no doubt that Mario Kingdom is a really extensive type of world that has a lot of different, um, places as well. And, you know, that goes for a lot of other games that we were looking at, which, um, I think in the end, it, it really comes down to whether that game, it was excelled because of the gameplay or because of being in that world, right? Like world building was a key to why that felt like it was a fun experience yeah exactly so and 
there's I mean there's not we didn't really touch on sort of any sort of like the fighting games that yeah. um have got interesting worlds so when we like look at games such as like Soul Calibur Four, which was just exactly. a fantastic experience, or even like the Mortal Kombat games. Um when we look at like uh Mortal Kombat eleven <laughs> It's so hard to figure out because they decided to go with the X and it throws everything off. Uh, but yeah, Mortal Kombat 11 in particular was just really sort of great, especially when we get into like the story mode of that game and just how that completely brought everything to light rather than just being a bunch of generic sort of uh, stages there. Uh, but as I said, I think there's, if you want to let us know in the comments section which uh, games would have made uh, your favourite video game worlds, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so this brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this extra long episode that we brought you tonight as we ran down our top 20 video game worlds. Uh, whether you happen to be listening to us, please do hit the like and subscribe button and leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. Yeah, and if you uh, want to see our archive of everything, whether it's written or our other podcasts, you can check out our blog at gamewarpblog.wordpress.com. And you can also check us out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're all under the same handle, Game Warp Podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening, and thank you to my co-host, Kim. And we'll, we'll be back again soon. Until then, good night. Good night.